Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within. To seek out new joys and new methods of awakening. To boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome, welcome, fellow explorers on the journey of consciousness. I am Jonathan Robinson, and we have a special guest today, which I am thrilled to have because I've been wanting to interrogate him for a long time. And his name is Sanjay Manchanda. But before I introduce Sanjay, I want to say hi to my co-host, Brian. How are you doing? Very well, Jonathan. I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to this uh, as well, and so great to meet you, Sanjay, and really appreciate your coming on the show. Yes, pleasure to be here. So let's say a little bit about Sanjay. Um, Sanjay is a spiritual teacher, a psychotherapist, and a specialist in clinical neurofeedback and neuromodulation using current, light, magnetism, and sound. That already triggers like 100 questions for me. Anyways, his teaching is a confluence of Eastern and Western wisdom streams. He has a bachelor's in electrical engineering, a PhD in computer science, and a master's in counseling psychology. So a true Renaissance man. I've been to a bunch of his workshops. They're really practical, really great. Welcome to Awareness Explorers, Sanjay. Wonderful to be here, Jonathan and Brian. You have a very unusual background, both as a therapist, as a scientist, as a, uh, so many as somebody who's really focused on awakening. Just briefly, uh, since people may not know you, how do you how did you get into all those different things? What was the impetus for all of those things? Yes, when uh, when I was very young, I was very sensitive and quite affected by everything around me, emotional, and generally affected by what I experienced as suffering in me and around me. Mm -hmm. And and also had a bright mind and really tried to use my mind to try to deal with this issue of uh, what I found, what I experienced with suffering. And initially my approach was to follow science as, as, as part of my education. So I was very interested in science and engineering. And so as a consequence of that, I actually, you know, I grew up in India and I left India and came to the US to study further. And my impetus was really to try to get to the essence of what life is about. You know, my idealism was all about you know, how to find out what life is about, how to deal with suffering, and really follow the arc of science. All the things that they never teach you in school. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> right. And, you know, cut the story short, it wasn't quite working. And after I studied more and became a professor. And I realized that, you know, I was at some sort of apex in my life and it, it just wasn't uh, answering my heart's calling. And, yeah. and part of the issue was I was always very anxious when I was young and then I became depressed on top of it. And that's when I really started to turn back to more like the Eastern practices and started doing yoga, and started meditation in a big way. Actually, started meditation in Shenzhen Yang, which uh, you both know, whom you both know here in Tucson. And actually, I started meditation here in the West, not in the East, not in Delhi, although I did some yoga there. And as I started to investigate these practices, I realized that they were about addressing my heart's calling. They were, and, and there was a scientific approach, especially initially studying a lot of the original Buddhist methods really investigating mm -hmm. our experience. And so as I did that, I found some relief and I found some insight into what was happening with me and my whole system. So that started me on a path of really, really as my usual habit of really immersing myself fully. And mm -hmm. first I was overdoing science, now I started overdoing meditation. 
like a lot of us. Yeah. And yoga and so on. And then I ended up quitting my job as a professor of computer science here at the U of A. And really going back to India for my own spiritual journey. Spent a year in India with different teachers. And uh, and at that point had a big awakening with uh, Papaji, who's like a famous... Uh, I, I was with Papaji for a while. Oh, you were? Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. I was there in 91, actually. I was there in 92. <laughs> We almost met you, missed each other. Yeah. And I hung out there and, you know, the Ramana Maharishi Ashram in South India and various places. And, and I, so that was a big, big change in my life. And, and then at the same time, I realized that there was, there was all this inner conditioning, this all this inner turmoil that was still there, although I had access to this place outside all the drama in my mind. After, but I still had to deal with it. And then I was inspired to come back to the U.S. and actually start to look at some sort of therapy approaches, which also interested me. So my life has been sort of bouncing back between East and West in different ways. I will become clear. So I came back. I was uh, just after, before going to India, I had attended this workshop by Arnie Mindell, who's a physicist turned Jungian psychologist and therapist. Uh, teaching something called process-oriented psychology, mm-hmm. which involved a lot of uh, the body and movement work, very similar to what is now somatic experience, mm-hmm. very like a precursor to that. He's a great teacher, very playful. And I had a big opening in those workshops because I loved his approach, his playful approach, and a completely right-brained approach to things, you know, where you just start with a symptom, amplified it, used your imagination, and seen where it went. And uh, and so I decided to study with him for a while. Did just one workshop after another for months on end. And, uh, and I found that I could go back to this place of inner freedom, starting from a bottom-up approach where there was some symptom or difficulty I was experiencing. You would amplify it, examine it, and express it. And then I would end up in freedom. And yeah. And so there was this completely different approach from the Eastern approach, more psychological, more expressive. And, and that started me on a whole other journey of studying therapy and, uh, and even other forms of body work, and energy healing, and so on. So you, and, were, using, you were using your uh, mm-hmm. conditioning and your triggers as a way, as a path to awareness and freedom. Correct. Which not many people do. And I think it's a really underutilized approach and a way to bridge East and West. And, you know, something what you said, which really struck me is, you know, you're obviously very smart that you would immerse yourself in things that were not your predisposition, like body or heart stuff. And I think that's really underutilized as well. And I've, I've done that too. Uh, And it's not easy because, you know, we have these these heads that want to take everything, and then you're kind of like starting over. Oh my God, you know, starting over with trying to work out, you know, the heart aspect of spirituality or the the um, the body aspect. And I really respect you for doing that. And somewhere along the line, I, I guess you got into like trauma therapy. Yeah. So so firstly, to amplify what you were saying, that's a really important point which uh, I was trying to make. So you picked that up, which is that my training till before I got into meditation in a big way was all very left brain. Mm-hmm. So it's very much in my mind, you know, lived a distance from my body, very mm-hmm. conceptual. And then as I started meditating, especially at that time, we were med- doing a lot of meditation on the body and body sensations, you know, body scan, Vipassana style, Wenka style. And I found that was critical and really needed to do that. So I did a lot of that. Then I did this kind of amplification work with body symptoms and movement. And it was a lot about really engaging the other side of the brain, you could say. Really engaging the, the right side and really bringing it online so I could feel, because I could intuitively see the holism, the wholeness that I felt from doing that. So I spent some years pretty much ignoring the left side. Even when the, the internet was coming online, I wasn't part of that revolution at that point after even being a computer science professor. 
I mean, in, for a while, I didn't want anything to do with my left brain, in a way, almost to an extreme. Mm-hmm. And uh, and at some point later, it was about integrating the two sides. That's when I started right. to get into more technology for meditation and brain stimulation therapy and so on. So, so that was like a, a return to the left brain, return to integration. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so then coming talking about what you brought up about trauma therapy, yeah, I had a lot of trauma that I didn't realize, very early childhood trauma that I needed to deal with. And so as part of, uh, I decided to become a therapist after some years of doing this kind of stuff. It's, it's funny, it always felt natural when I did therapy with people. When I was a professor, it never felt so natural to me. You mm-hmm. know, it's clear. And, uh, and so I studied, you know, studied different kinds of therapy and studied trauma work. And over time, I've been a therapist for 30 years, so you can't not learn all these methods and work with trauma and understand that, how integral a role it is uh-huh. in our experience. You know, my wife is an EMDR therapist, and I just heard that you do some EMDR. Yeah, it's and, not my specialty, but yes, uh-huh. I do. But I'm wondering, you know, on the Buddhist perspective, there's no self, or you're trying to get to no self. And trauma is obviously trauma to some self or different parts of ourselves. How do you view that? Like, what are you working on? Or what are you trying to do with with these trauma type therapies? Yeah, so the way I see is that, yeah, we, we tend to separate therapy and spirituality. And it's kind of dualistic in a way. In, in mm-hmm. my mind, it's not dualistic. It's another aspect, non-dual. It's all working with one thing. And one way to unify that, one unifying idea is that uh, the idea of identity, which is that whenever we are suffering, it's because we are identified with some limited sense of self. Now, trauma creates that limited sense of self, a conditions that limited sense of self, and it naturally gets triggered with experiences that remind us of traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. So, so whenever I'm working with someone, I'm always looking at the sort of the lens that I'm looking at is who's here now, which character or self is here now and how are they defined? So one experience of trauma is that we an event happens that for us, our resources in that moment is overwhelming and there's some loss and it's overwhelming. So there's the experience of helplessness and, uh, and loss as well as other emotions that arise. And typically an identity that's created is an identity around helplessness and some other negative belief about self or more than one beliefs about self. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I see it is that what the uh, trauma trigger puts us back in some limited characters or, or limited definitions of ourselves. And from a, you know, from a meditation and awakening point of view, the point is to realize we are not these limited characters. We are not limited ideas of ourselves. We are this openness that's here. So there's really, whether whatever technique we use, as long as it's addressing that issue and helping to release that limited identity, it's all part of one fabric. So those are just techniques. And, you know, psychology has a number of great techniques, like eye movement. And um, and so on. So I have free free to use any technique that in the service of creating freedom from limited self identity. And trauma work is very much in that context. So I think actually I did my master's thesis in psychology, and that's what I call it: using the lens of identity in therapy. And I think if you use that lens, you actually have very powerful results. And most effective therapies do use that. In fact. One of the reasons that EMDR is so effective is because it understands some of this very much in the way the protocol is designed. Mm-hmm. Brian, uh, what, what, what reaction do you have to all this? Well, this is one of my most, one of my favorite topics is the uh, limited self. And the uh, I sometimes think of it as the illusion of the separate self. And I'm very curious about how trauma creates that. Is it, I don't completely understand how trauma creates the, the limited identity. And is it important for healing to understand that and how that, how that works? 
Um, that's a good question. I don't understand exactly how it creates it. I mean, you can have a traumatic event and and not fall into a limited identity. That can also happen. So then we wouldn't normally call it, it's not a traumatic event for that person. If, But it can be, you know, people can go to war and have be in a highly stressful situation where, th- you know, their friends get, you know, hurt or blown up and they yet don't have PTSD. And, you know, they could have a liberating experience even. So I do think that the actual causes uh, are not understood. But what I would say is that uh, as human beings, we're deeply affected by our feelings and our emotions. And what we feel, we tend to take to be real. So when an intense feeling arises, we naturally tend to identify with it unless we've really learned otherwise. So that's what most human beings do. So if you're put in a situation of intense emotion or intense fear or intense helplessness, intense hopelessness, you will start to identify with it. And then that becomes an identity that I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, or I have to be afraid. And that fear, you know, naturally will get triggered in any kind of self-similar situation in the future and as well as the identity then gets re-emphasized. Every time that's triggered, more and more fear gets triggered, then there's a natural identification with that fear. And that is the way I think that uh, identities get created or, or and re-emphasized. Mm-hmm. And then how do we disidentify? You mentioned that there are several approaches for it, but for example, I mean, how do we see through that that identity may not really be the real us. Yeah, so typically we have to, uh, you know, we have to learn to look outside the experience of thinking and feeling, to see what's outside thinking and feeling, Mm. to look at the background that's there. And that's really the purpose of, you know, non-dual teachings, awakening teachings, the purpose of meditation to help us to quiet the mind enough to experience the more subtle levels. And then for really the purpose of different kinds of inquiry, where we start to see what is outside our subjective experience of thinking and feeling and uh, and who we are in that context. And it's more subtle. In fact, uh, if we keep looking, as you know, it's empty in a certain way. And initially we experience this emptiness. So we have to start looking into that background, start to look into that background, basically. Well, you know, I've been to a couple of your workshops, Sanjay, or many. Mm-hmm. And um, what I like is that I don't know if you invented these techniques or you just learned them along the way, but you have a way to take people from the whatever contracted identity uh-huh. they're currently in into both pure awareness or certain qualities of awareness very quickly. And I'm wondering if you can share like one of those methods, because they're pretty simple, but their simplicity makes them pretty profound. And give an example of like how you bridge those two worlds, the world of very constricted awareness and the world of freedom, openness, spaciousness, etc. Yeah, great, great question. Before I do that, uh, Jonathan, I just thought of one more thing to say mm-hmm. what Brian asked, and then we can do that next. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a nice story of when I went to see Papaji in Lucknow in uh, 91. At that point, I'd done a lot of meditation, and some of it had helped, but I had sort of experienced, in a way, more suffering at that point, because I was kind of stuck. And, and that's when I started to look at the question, who's meditating? And and then I realized initially that the person meditating was someone who was very determined and worked really hard. That's an identity that I built up to deal with life and my own difficulties. And it was in when I was in that attitude, I tightened up. It was a certain tighten. So when I would be meditating, now it was in my face that I would tighten up, I would feel pain, and then I would try harder. Which would amplify the tightening and so on and so forth. And none of that was obvious to me till I started asking the question, who's meditating? And that was one level of inquiry that I needed to look at. 
that's what got me in the path of really, I need to ask the question, who's here? Who's meditating? Who am I? And then when I went to see Papaji, he was a student of Ramana Maharishi. The first thing he did was he said, oh, looks like, uh, you know, you really want some help. So, yeah. He said, well, you need to tell me who you are. Um, but before you do that, I want you to be willing to give up everything and be completely naked. And uh, And by that, what I mean is that you are not allowed to use a single idea, a single concept. You have to strip yourself completely naked. You cannot use a single concept. And then he looked at me very fiercely and all this awakened energy. And I was like, I was like really determined to answer, do, do it the best way and really focusing on it. And I was like, yeah, okay. But actually there was nothing to say. What are you going to say? Who am I without a single concept? Who are you without a single concept? But it is who you are. It does exist. It doesn't exist in concepts. Who you are is not a concept. It just that can't be answered through concepts. And in that moment, this burden that I felt just completely went away, just instant. And there was this uplifting feeling that was a response to that. And, and we laughed. I laughed. He laughed, which would often happen around him. And we would laugh for a while. And that really opened up. That was like the, the opening. And there was a lot more to do later, but that was the opening. So I think that's, you know, also completing the answer to your question as to mm -hmm. where do we go outside that. Yeah, yeah I love that story uh, because, uh, sure, of course, that there's no, we can't answer it with a concept because all concepts appear in that conceptless awareness that we really are. So it makes perfect sense. But before you get on to the next one, I just wanted to ask, so the awakening that you had with Papaji, and by the way, for our listeners, that's H-W-L uh, Punja. P-O-O-N-J-A. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, he uh, was that, was your later work with trauma different from that or just sort of a continuation of something that was started there? Both. Mm -hmm. So that kind of inquiry and, and then hanging around with him, it was all very natural, but there wasn't a lot of, nobody there did a lot of psychological work. And so really a lot of what I do is bring in psychological work, even the idea of projection or what happens in relationships how do you project different qualities on the teacher? Different things would happen in relationship with him, which actually caused some problems, but people were not aware of those things. You know, the, typically in the East, we didn't talk about these things. Right. So those ideas have been very valuable contribution of Western thinking. And so having trained in both, I'm very interested in using both ideas. So at the same time, see, when you're doing therapy, there's a lot more focus on... Uh, going into your feelings, going into your experience, your emotions, looking at uh, your relationships and projections and relationships. And there isn't necessarily a lot of focus on letting go of stepping out of disidentifying. In the Eastern approach, it's all about stepping out, stepping out, stepping out, and maybe denying or spiritual bypassing, as they say, or not looking at what needs to be looked at. And both are important. Yeah, so, we often use the analogy that that uh, that it's like two wings of a plane. If you just have right. one wing, uh, you go around circles and then you crash eventually. Right, right. So it's great to have both sides of the coin. Yeah. 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 So um, I, I, I was smiling as you were talking about uh, Punjaji just because I had similar experiences with him and it brought back those those memories. All right. Um, but uh, going back to the question I had, because people don't always get what it would look like to have a, quote, therapeutic technique that's focused on a character transition into uh, an open, spacious awareness. And uh, I think of you as being a, a master at having methods like that. Right. Um, so if you can talk about that, that would be interesting. Yeah. So those are typically methods that I've developed based on, you know, my wonderful teachers, mentors, and other things that I've learned along the way. But it's my, you know, combination of uh, the knowledge that's been gained. So yeah, we could look at a method. 
So let me talk about it first. So one way is, is we can start looking at the psyche as different selves or characters, as is now popular in something called internal family systems. Originally, I trained in uh, voice dialogue, which was taught by Helen Citrusstone. And the idea that we can look at these different locuses of identity in ourselves, because there is no singular self, there is actually ultimately no real self. And so the locus of identity is constructed and can and can be thought of as these different aspects, like uh, different personalities in ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we can have the inner child, the inner judge, the inner critic, the inner artist, and the inner controller. How will we decide to split the pie? It's relatively arbitrary, but certain natural divisions arise in the same. So mm-hmm. we can think of these characters that show up and... Uh, and then, you know, in a, in a psychological work, we might actually interview a character and say, okay, how often do you show up in this person's life? Uh, who did you learn from in their life? What feelings do you normally connect with? What do you believe about the world and about uh, yourself and so on? All useful stuff. And... What we'll look at from an identity awareness awakening perspective is to complete the realization that you are not this character, that you're not limited to this character. You're not limited to any character. You're not limited to this character. You're not limited to the shadow character, maybe the one that's the opposite of this that's also in there. And uh, your identity is not limited in any way. So we can do a technique that's that goes both ways. It goes little bit into investigating the character as well as into releasing the identity from that character. Okay. Yeah. So we can do that. Actually, we can uh, go through that kind of exercise right now. That sounds great. Okay. So there'll be two steps to this exercise. The first step is connecting with the character. And the next step is releasing identity with it as well as going in and out of noticing the process of identification. So the first step uh, to connect with the character, we'll, we'll uh, try a couple of different ways. So just take a moment, whoever's watching, and you guys can close your eyes even and just pay attention to your body and the mind. And we'll ask the question, who is here now? And the answer is we're looking at is, is which character is here now, if any. You don't have to find one right now. There's more than one way to do this. If there was a character here right now, who's here now? And the way to answer it that's useful is to just think of it as answering as someone who, like someone who is feeling sad or someone who's eager to get the answer or someone who's excited or a child-like character or a critic, someone who's skeptical. So any such answer could appear. Someone who's in pain. So which character is here now, if any? And then another way, so that's the that's a good way to get into it. Another way to get into it, if you're not clear about anybody here now, because you're neutral or something, then think of a time recently when you felt triggered in a situation. So you can, in fact, do both and choose one for the later part of the exercise. So think of a time when you felt triggered Notice the feelings that came up for you, emotions or thoughts connected with being triggered. Like maybe you were angry or hurt or frustrated. And notice where you feel that in your body. What kind of thoughts that go along with it. And then ask the question, which character is here and the trigger. There'll be more than one maybe, but you can pick any one. Or you can notice there's more than one. So so just take a moment to then pick a character that shows up for you. Just sitting here in the moment, listening to me, either one. And once you pick that, invite yourself to have an image of it. 
if possible. Not that's fine, but what would this character look like in your mind's eye in this moment? So we're using some kind of active imagination process, simple. What does it feel like to be this character? What would it look like? It doesn't have to be a clear image or could be even a symbol. look like you or a dream character could look like a character in a play or a comic book or some other person you know all right and then once you have this okay actually then we're going to go on and work with it further so before we do that let me just ask you since you're both here just to illustrate this did you both find a character to work with yes all right. All right. Did you get an image? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Does any of you want to share anything about it? You don't have to. But... Mine was my second grade self who who was sitting in class and who didn't understand what was going on and was upset and shamed and angry about it. Okay. 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 That's character. That's pretty clear. It started just because I realized that what was present was the 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 one who is trying to do a good job. And then yeah, right. that sort of started there with the present, what was happening now. And then that past character came in. Beautiful. And and it's it's very interesting to just see who's here now, because often we'll find a character that starts there, which is someone who's trying to do a good job or get the answer uh, or try really hard. And these are all very relevant characters that we live our life through. Like when I was asking who's meditating, it was the guy trying to work really hard, you know, really determined to get ahead. Yeah. All right. And I had a, a, a what I call the abandonment fearer, you know, uh, okay. a dear Fear. friend who who uh, somebody I'm very close to. I'm not sure how that connection will be going forward. And, you know, that probably started when I was three and my mom was getting divorced and she wasn't there, you know, and I, I had a picture really of a three-year-old. Okay. So you both, yeah, went deep there to these parts of us that are like children. And they mm -hmm. do often, you know, in a way, control our lives in some way. Mm -hmm. So Okay. So let's take the next step. So the next step is... You're going to notice the feeling of being this character, the image of this character. And then you're going to try the following sentence completion. If I stopped limiting my identity to this character, then I would feel. So you can say that to yourself or just listen to me. If I stopped limiting my identity to this character, then I would feel. Because ultimately we know we are not any particular character. So if I stop limiting my identity to this character, it's still there, we're not getting rid of it. It's included in the wholeness of who we are. But if I stop limiting my identity to this character, then I would feel. And then you're going to let your body respond. So the idea is to have a feeling kind of a response. Does your body relax? Does it tighten up? Do you not know? Not knowing is a perfectly valid answer. If I stop limiting, my identity to this character, then I would feel, and just letting the body respond. Maybe you'll respond with relaxation or tightness, and then we're going to repeat it. If I start limiting my identity to this character, then I would feel. And give it a moment. So, Right now, if I stop limiting my identity to this character, then I feel, or I feel, and just noticing any shift in the feeling experience. Because that's what makes something real to us, the shift in feeling. I don't know. And if you don't know, then the invitation is to relax into that. I could relax into not knowing how what I would feel or who I would be, then I would feel. Just relax into not knowing, then I would feel. Definitely do that if you're experiencing any not knowing or just explore it anyway. I could relax into not knowing who I am, then I would feel. 
I could let go of limiting my identity to this character and relax into not knowing, then I would feel. And then take a moment to explore the opposite, which is to say to yourself, I have to limit my identity to this character because I have to be this child because or I have to keep limiting myself to being this child or this person that wants to do good, whatever you choose. I have to keep limiting myself to this character because and just say the first thing that comes to mind. Don't censor it. Speak like a child. Doesn't matter what it is, even if the answer is I just have to, or if there's a reason that shows up, your mind will supply the answer. The sentence completion technique, the mind just, the unconscious just speaks. I have to limit my identity to this character because, and repeat. I have to limit my identity to this character because and once more I have to limit my identity to this character because and then we'll finish up with if there was a letting go of identity with this character then I would feel if there was a letting go of identity with this character, then I would feel, and this time we let the body respond. All right, good. So we'll pause there. So I'll point out a couple of things that I did there and why I did them in a moment. So, but before we do that, how was your experience? Right. Oh, it was a very, uh, yeah, it was a great experience. It was very vivid. Uh, I got really good answers to both of those questions. I don't know if you want me to go into detail or just... Uh, just a sentence would be good. Like, um, get some insight. Did you feel some opening, like from asking? I, I, I absolutely did. I mean, the first question about what if I had to stay in that, or why would I have to, you right, know, was, right. was like, because I don't know how. Or, right, that's a typical or because then I would let my parents and teachers off the hook. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. and, and if I allowed that not, to, if I... If I were free from having to identify with that character or being that character, then I would feel free. I would feel capable. I'd feel confident. Right. How about you, Jonathan? Well, I've done this method a lot. I find it very effective, very uh, eloquent in taking me from some stuck place to spacious awareness in a short period of time. And I, I, I like how you ask both sides of the question. Because I picture like a nail uh, a little bit in a board, and you're hitting it with a hammer on one way, and then you're hitting it on the other way, and eventually the nail, you know, gets out of the loose. board. Or it's like a drawer approach. You push and pull the drawer. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So you're loosening, you're kind of loosening this character up until it just says, okay, let's go into presence, you know. And also the 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 insights of what, is said when you ask, um, uh, I need to identify with this character because sometimes what that what you hear and what you learn from that is very insightful and interesting. Yes, so there we are, uh, we're taking a both like a both like a traditional approach, a little bit of a traditional approach in psychology, in depth psychology, you like to go deep into reasons or the past or history or the into the unconscious, you would say. So I'm using a simple technique in therapy, the sentence completion technique, but in a, really focusing on the issue of identity because we understand from a spiritual uh, and, and teaching and understanding that that's so critical. So yeah. being focused on something important, but it's also 
sort of digging into the unconscious just a little bit, not a long drawn out uh, analysis, but just a little bit digging into the unconscious mm-hmm. and which allows things to open up into awareness. And then the other is maybe a more positive psychology technique of going into the site of letting go and seeing what that would be like. So we're taking both, you know, again, it's kind of non-dual. We're taking both sides of the coin. And it's also actually a known and now now coming to be known in trauma work where you don't want to go too deep into the experience of trauma to avoid re-traumatizing the person. And you want to provide them resources. So I'm somehow using those ideas in here in a very clear way around identifying and disidentifying. And you also sometimes use what you called qualities of being, where your inquiry or your questions are guiding people towards specific qualities. I found that really interesting because, I mean, it's so simple and so direct, but I found it actually it worked really well. <laughs> I'm wondering if you can say something about that. Yeah, that's a whole other aspect of the work. So this is a whole body of work. You know, we can talk yeah. about different aspects of it. And the the qualities of being are what in psychological work you might call resources or something like that. But it's not exactly the same, but similar idea. Well, quality of being is, you know, if you think of a character as being more like ossified or uh, having some sort of fixed strategy of operating, like I always have to do my best or I always have to be vigilant because mm-hmm. that's going to help me to survive. And, uh, and, and so it has this emotion, this contraction in the body that's typically caught up with it and a strategy that's fixed. Now, as, the, as you release those things, as you release your identity from that character and release the belief system, then that you have more strategies available for getting what you want or functioning in life. And you have less emotion, uh, fear emotion than anger emotion tied up in that character. So what's left? What's left is uh, more just beingness but if you still look at it from the idea of these different functions, which characters represent these different functions, they're merely more like qualities of being. So qualities of being would be like uh, uh, um, presence or even power and agency or loving kindness or wisdom or guidance. And so what we find is these characters tend to dissolve and become more formless and what's available is these qualities of being, value and worth. And so we can start to understand that if we feel if we've gotten disconnected from, for example, our sense of value or worth or um, love and uh, these different qualities, then uh, these characters have these strategies to somehow reconnect. And we don't we want to be able to reconnect from the inside. To these qualities of being, and do you do that by asking questions, or or do you fake it till you make it? What's the process of where people start to tune into these higher qualities? Yeah, so so you initially you may just work with say disidentifying these characters, or or really looking at the belief, like a negative belief about yourself, and releasing that. Mm-hmm. And then what is ne- then the next step would be to uh, to see the qualities of being that are trying to arise from uh, a more fundamental space. And then there's different techniques you can use for that. So, for example, we can connect with, say, let's say if you work with a feeling of safety. OK, so so you can actually start to even explore the idea of what if I could feel safe right now? How would that feel? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and. F- so it's really that all these strategies that I'm using to feel safe, and while well, it's completely an inside job, as they say, in spirituality, right? And so what if I could let myself feel safe right now? And, and so if you want me to look at the technique, we might say something like, oh, if I could feel safe right now, then I would feel, and just let the body respond. So you can try it right now. If I could feel safe right now, I would feel. If it's an issue for you, it will create some shift. Like your body will either resist it or will relax more. If you already feel safe most of the time, it may not do much for you. You know, you might want to work for a different quality. Mm-hmm. And then you also do the opposite. I cannot feel safe right now because, and see what comes to mind. Mm-hmm. 
I cannot feel safe right now because somebody could judge me. You know, I cannot feel safe right now because all these people are watching the video. They might have a judgment about me or whatever, whatever shows up in your mind, mm-hmm. right? And then when and, you say uh, when you say those things, often they're so ridiculous, so you realize they they have no uh, basis in reality. So it's kind of easy to let go of them once they're expressed. Right, but and the, but the thing to work with qualities is a is a profound work because it it really will starts to look at different things, different streams of what's trying to happen in your life. For example you may find that a bunch of your habits or even your addictions are connected with a quality that you're trying to achieve as a feeling state. Mm-hmm. For example, I gave an example of like, I looked at my addiction to sweet things as trying to reconnect with the sweetness that I naturally had as a child. That's like mm-hmm. a natural part of me, but got disconnected because of you know a lot of inner judgment and other feelings of being unacceptable. And so what if I could feel that intrinsic sweetness that uh, is a natural part of this personality? And that's such a beautiful thing. And did realize that, yeah, I have I have this feeling of loss of not connecting with it and some habits of maybe eating connected, trying to reconnect to that experience, mm-hmm. which in a way is intrinsically me at a personality level. Mm-hmm. So, so, so this is actually a, a profound... Uh, idea and it's I'm not the only one to express it, but it's a, I sort of found my way into it in my own way. But it's it's also found in some other systems as well. I find it fascinating because uh, you're not actually tasked, or we're not actually tasked with creating some sensation or feeling or emotion. We're using our imagination. What if we felt safe like now right now how would it feel i remember studying sedona method and they would say could you allow yourself to let go of wanting to be safe and the answer was always no <laughs> i i can't i, I can't <laughs> right, right. sorry you weren't ready to do that right no no way no yeah, way yeah. But, dig, dig a little deeper and say yeah. no i don't, i need to hold on to feeling unsafe right. because that's what i would do with people right i said but before I could, can uh, you feel safe Yes, but I could imagine, just as you just took us through now, what if I felt safe? What would that be like? No pressure. Yeah, so there's two sides to that as well. So that's a good point. So in fact, there's a form of therapy that does that kind of questioning more, you know, a brief therapy form which has you know, something called the miracle question, which is the embodiment of that idea. That if a miracle happened and your problem disappeared tomorrow, imagine you're there, a miracle has happened. How are you feeling? You know? uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I'm feeling great. You know, I'm feeling positive. <laughs> what would you be doing? So, so yeah, it uses the imagination, paces you into this new state. And then the flip side of it is also what, even that can be limited because your system is like going to rebound and say, hey, wait a minute, what did I just do? Let's try to let myself feel good. I'm not allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. And you, you'll go back. And then, but I, we can work with that too. We can say, okay, no, it's important to keep feeling unsafe because, and let's do some depth work here. No, I need to hold on to feeling unsafe first and just uncover that just a little bit. And then you find, oh, you can go back to feeling safe much easier. Mm-hmm. So It kind so of clears the path. Clears the path, yeah. But you're in both cases. You're really working with what is really happening right now. You're not. You're not denying. You're not denying anything. It's what what what's present right now. Yeah, it's very present oriented work. The way I do it, the past is 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 fine, and we bring it into the extent that it's clearly affecting the present. And we don't necessarily go into a long discussion about the story of the past, but it's certainly you know, certainly a part of what's connected to what the person might be experiencing right now. Right. Mm-hmm. It's great stuff. And um, one of the things that I, I like about your work is, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're not limited to one modality and you're actually pretty well known in the area of, of using technology to tap into higher states of awareness. Right. Uh, you're a little bit of a renaissance man that way, Sanjay. And That's I, a whole other area we have to talk about. <laughs> yes. when, when I told some friends that I was interviewing you, they, they said, 
Ask him about that. We need. We want the latest update. They said, "I want to press a button and experience higher states." How far along are we? And uh, I don't know if you could say anything about the interface of technology and higher states of consciousness, and and whether you think that's possible or if it's if it's moving along or what the future might be. Oh, it's definitely moving along. Yeah, we're making good progress. I I still think it's in the in a holistic context. You know that that doesn't exclude all the stuff we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. That you know, I, it's like in fact, it could put you in a crisis where you need to do more of your you know inner psychological and spiritual work. Just like uh, you know, you can use uh, sacred medicine to move into some new states, and then use that as an impetus to do more practice or need to do some inner work. So I think it's in a holistic context, but. It certainly has its own uh, value and power and benefit that can come from uh, using technology in specific ways to help us to accelerate our path into uh, uh, deeper states of uh, meditation as well as moving towards awakening. Mm-hmm. So the the basic idea there is to is to that we have been exploring is to either use uh, some form of biofeedback, like neurofeedback with the brain, to train the brain into some different states. And even more interestingly, using some low-level energy transfer into the brain. So we can transfer some low-level energy of light, current, or sound, or even ultrasound, to actually turn on and off certain parts of the brain, which we know are relevant in, for example, in uh, focusing or even more importantly, in uh, self-referencing. So what we're talking about is how would we connect brain functioning and uh, say inputting some energy into the brain to go into a deeper state or having some insight. So one simple way to think about it is that research has shown that when we have self-referential thought, certain parts of the brain are activated for example, called the default mode circuit, or particularly a single node in that circuit is very important, which is the posterior cingulate cortex at the back of the head. And so one question that people have asked is, what if we can turn that off temporarily using some technological mode? What would happen then? And so research using neurofeedback was shown that, yes, indeed, when people are in a deep state, that part is quieter. And then, uh, you know, my friend Jay Sanguinetti, currently at the University of Arizona, along with Shinzen Yang, actually has been experimenting with using ultrasound to literally beaming ultrasound into that part of the brain to turn it off temporarily. And they've done some studies in the fMRI machine to show, yeah, it does do that. And in fact, the subjects have reported some deep quieting and uh and really a, a profound state of peace that shows up. So that study is being conducted. Not, not only that, you know, I was in a room where Jeffrey Martin was doing that and you were there and um, and they were doing it to another person and I could feel their peace very clearly. So it almost seems like a person then becomes like a transmitter of that peace possibly. Uh, we are all transmitting all the time, whatever yeah. states we're in, so definitely. Definitely happens. And yeah, so we actually, before these experiments in the UVAs, uh, Jeffrey, Jay, and I were, you know, lived in a house for 10 months in Redwood City and played around with this technology. Actually, Jay and Shinzen started this, but then we, all three of us, played around with it for 10 months and and we've been getting some awesome results with that. So, and uh, so that's one way to do it. I've also been using infrared light at different frequencies and seeing what the effect is of helping the brain in training the brain into different frequencies using infrared light. That you can shine infrared light, goes through the skull, and then whatever frequency you use affects your brain and helps it to enter certain states of consciousness. And so in fact, that's the study that I'm starting in a week is to, with long-term meditators, to give them uh, infrared light at these high frequencies and a combination of frequencies. And uh, we're seeing that people can get into deep states of meditation doing that. 
Do you think these things, you know, I wrote a book called The Technology of Joy, and it talks about different brain machines and gadgets and such. Um, I think people sometimes get unrealistic expectations where they think, oh, well, you know, I can someday get one of these things and I'll become an enlightened person. Um, do you think that these things do more than, say, sacred medicines where they can potentially give you more than just an experience? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, typically, whenever you do a session, you're going to have an experience. And I think that uh, at that point, at this point, I would say, yes, it is an experience. So what you get out of it will depend on the context in which it's done, just like with medicine, as well as the as well as the teaching, because ultimately waking up is really about self-realization. It's about it's about your it's about seeing something about yourself. So putting in a deep state that can happen naturally, but it just works better if there's someone can point out to you, this is what's happening, this is what we're planning to do. This is how it works and look what's happening to you and look at what the, you know, how it affects your life. So it's just going to work better like that. Yeah. I like how you, you said it, it's best if it's in a holistic context yeah. that you're not just, you know, zapping people's brains. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, even in, you can get into a deep state and get really confused or afraid. So, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. I imagine another danger of it is um, might just be conceptually, uh, um, if you think of it as awareness or universal consciousness is something not that's not in the brain, but the brain appears in awareness, it, it, it might be tricky if we start thinking, well, I'm going to manipulate this part of the brain to create this experience. Does it lead us away from that experience of universal awareness in which the brain appears, or can it lead us toward that? Yeah, both. It depends on if you start getting attached to the idea, you know, uh, one side or the other. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's really, yeah, ultimately, a lot of our deeper understanding of consciousness has to do with being willing to be in the unknown. Mm. And I think that's just so much fundamental. So technologies are just tools. And again, I think like a discussion like this is important. You know, it's really my recent work with people uh, doing self-inquiry and even with myself really has a lot to do with how uh, we're approaching the unknown and the power of that. So I think that's really important. To, it's important to come back to that. And if we can use technology as a tool in the context to really speed up things, that's great. But I see it in that context. It's not as these, not as the number one thing. Mm -hmm. Actually, we're talking about the unknown. Really? You know, and what now here's a tool that's going to somehow help you with that. You know, that's uh, that's the way I would think. I imagine it can also work by sort of eliminating some of the obstacles to the unknown, some of the veils exactly. that we that we naturally have towards to seeing the unknown. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and then you enter more of what is at least to you is unknown. It's you know it's an ongoing process, and then see what falls out of that for you, what gives come, and then there's more mystery to mm -hmm. to actually to welcome. Yeah. Great stuff. Uh, yeah, in a certain way, I feel like um, and Brian, you might chime in here that uh, what Sanjay did earlier, we can edit as the meditation. Uh, that's fine, but did Sanjay, did you have another uh, meditation plan that was different from what you just led us through? No, no. I mean, I can always do more, but no, that was fine. That's great. Yeah, yeah I think I think that would make a really good meditation. You might have to uh, just take out the part where we give our our input, but uh, that shouldn't be too hard. So I can edit well, around all that. You can decide. You can even leave it in, which helps yeah, people yeah. to see. It's working. Yeah. It's up mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, just a last question for me, maybe a last question for Brian. Uh, what's uh, what's the cutting edge or exciting for you now in your path? You've done so much. Uh, what uh, what's 
your leading edge currently? Okay. Um, yeah. Let me. If you want me to do a meditation that goes more into the unknown, we can do that too. It takes two minutes. I'd I'm love in. it. Yeah, huh? Let's do it. Why don't we do that? Then we can answer this question. Okay. And you can edit that if you want. So, so since we are talking about the unknown, the so here's a simple way to start to explore it using the idea of direct inquiry. So, so just uh, just start with uh, trying to answer the question, "Who am I?" Or I'll ask you, "Who are you?" And then just see whatever answer comes. We're not looking for the right answer or anything at all like that. Anything you can say in your mind. Who are you? And then once more, who are you? And then very quickly, the next we're going to go further and deeper by asking the question, who's being aware of the answer? Who's being aware of the answer? Or who or what? Who or what is being aware of the answer? So you could get the answer as an image, a feeling, a word. Typically, you know, these are the sense modes that are operating. So notice that the any answer you gave came with a feeling, an image, a word, or some combination of those. And then the question is, who's being aware of those answers? Who's being aware of those answers? Or what is being aware of those answers? And whatever answer you give, if you can feel into it, or your answer would be, maybe you're not sure. So don't skip over that not sureness. So some of you will ask again, who's, who's aware of all your answers? And notice that you don't know, you're just not sure. And then the next question is, can you relax into that feeling of not knowing? And what would happen if you did? What would happen in the body if you're okay with not knowing? So that's like a quick way to zoom out and get to not knowing. This is absolutely one of my favorite kinds of practice. Uh, it, for me, it reminds me, Rupert Spira often quotes Rumi, and he says, down and down and down in infinite rings of being, because it, it's almost infinite. I mean, whatever answer I come up with, there's something that knows that answer. Right. What is that? And then if I come up with an answer to that, what knows that? And right. it's really infinite until there's no words or concepts to possibly ascribe. Yeah, that to. gets you the unknown pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, I don't know. We didn't give a lot of context to that, so you may not want to include this. But anyway, yeah. I will definitely include it in the podcast. We might even have two, uh, you know, uh, Sanjay uh, meditation. two two Sanjay meditations. Yeah. <laughs> so either way. It's it's uh, so what were you asking Jonathan about cutting edge or something? Yeah, for for you, you're you're not somebody to rest on your laurels, uh, Sanjay. Uh so I know that there's always something you're probably uh you know especially excited about or pursuing at this point. Yeah, I think uh, what uh, what I'm pursuing right now is some research with infrared light and meditation, mm -hmm. and really looking at how different frequencies, pulsing the light at different frequencies affect our states and how much uh, how much progress we can make, make by doing that. Infrared light has also a lot of beneficial effects in the brain, so it really helps the brain to have more energy in general to function. But then using different frequencies have powerful effects, and I think it's a relatively unexplored territory. What happens if you pulse the brain at a thousand hertz? You know, not even the kinds of frequencies that are talked about in the past. You know, right. like like theta and alpha and so on. And uh, and the other part of what's uh, really exciting is 
to me is more mundane, which is how to really about how to make this kind of work and teaching more accessible and available to people. That for me is a is a whole uh, interesting project and discovery. Yeah. So it's really much practical kind of stuff. I yeah. appreciate that practicality and it is so important in this day and age when so many people are having a hard time. You know, one more thing is personally, it's been a challenge because I tend to be very shy. In fact, don't even have a website. I've kind of hidden out for many years, but I decided to come out of that shell and start to talk more and do more public work and do more teaching. So we'll see where that takes me. Well, I, for one, am very grateful that you're doing that because uh, I, I learned a lot and I'm so thrilled that I get to you know, expose our, our listeners to you and your thoughts and your and your practices. And um, I, I think it's really important, as you say, to, to make it more accessible. So I, I'm grateful to you. for So thanks for, for coming on the show and sharing all this with us. And although he doesn't have a website, he does have an email address, which I'll mention uh, uh, to get your stuff out there. If you want to contact Sanjay, it's Sanjay Manchanda one at gmail I'll spell it s-a-n-j-a-y-m-a-n-c-h-a-n-d-a the number one at gmail.com yeah and there's a second email address sanjayman at mail.com not gmail just mail sanjayman s-a-n-j-a-y-m-a-n at mail.com m-a-i-l.com and uh, good luck on all the work you're doing. I, I know that's really cutting edge. You're helping people and uh, the world needs all the help it can get. And, and it's nice to hear that we're using both science therapy and the East to to move this boulder <laughs> forward somehow. And uh, hopefully we're doing that for our listeners. And if you like this stuff, uh, visit our page on patreon.com slash awareness explorers. We give a lot of free goodies if you want to send us a small donation, as little as a dollar a month. And we'll keep bringing you good stuff and good people like Sanjay. Any last words, Brian? No, I just want to mention about, since you mentioned Patreon, that um, we're very happy that this uh, podcast is free to all on YouTube and all sorts of channels. But, of course, um, it's not free to uh, have a uh, web hosting and podcast hosting, so it costs us a little a little money. So it's not like we're, we're happy that it's free, but we're also grateful uh, for our supporters as well. Yeah. So Sanjay, I look forward to playing with you uh, on the different Zoom things that we do. And I have a better understanding of your work and it's really added to my life. So thank you for. Yeah, uh, thank you. And uh, I'm so happy to be here and thank you both. Really being here talking to you. That was fun. Yeah, it was fun. To our listeners, always remember, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends. Because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.